0: I love this time of year. Um, I'm strange like that. I love the, the beginning of a new year because I think people are open. We're open to God, and we're open to let God work in us, to, to bring out the best in us, to do something new, to, to take and invest and use everything that he's given us to become our best. We start the year, most of us, thinking we start the year thinking about our faith growing. We start the year thinking about getting healthy or disciplining our finances, prioritizing our marriages and kids and and really many other goals. And the and the people who succeed in these goals, the people who succeed in accomplishing what they set out to do in the beginning of the year, the people who are willing to do consistently what the rest of us do occasionally. You know, the people who succeed, the people who become what they are destined to become, those who who bring out the very best of them, those who succeed are the ones who will do consistently what the rest of us do occasionally. The people with a, a successful marriage, the people with successful finances, the people with a successful career, or those who are successful parents, those who, who are in the eyes of God have successful faith are the ones who do consistently what others do occasionally. But do you know what's really crazy about this? Like like today is March 17th. Back two and a half months ago, around January 1st, somewhere around 45% Americans or 145 million Americans made resolutions about what they wanted to do in this new year. The the strange thing is all but 8% of those resolutions failed by Valentine's Day. Only 8% of those commitments to change, those things that we wanted to make happen, happened. If we're a part of the 92%, (laughs) then we can probably relate to the words of the teacher Paul in his letter to the the Christians in Rome. Here's what he wrote. I really don't understand myself. For I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. I want to do what's right, but I can't. I want to do what's good, But I don't. I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyway. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Do you catch what he did there? He started by talking about his failures, and then he attached those failed actions to himself, his identity. What a miserable person I am. Now, he's not necessarily, just as a historical note, talking about himself. But he's telling this story of what happens to us. It says, who will free me? Who will free any of us from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Dominated by continuing to go down the path I don't want to go. Continuing to do what I don't want to do. Continuing to fall back into those same patterns. Who will rescue me from this? Thank God. The answer is Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank God. God, in Jesus, there is another way. In Jesus, there is a possibility of a transformed life. That in Christ, all things are possible. That He delivers us from the patterns of this world. It's, it's, it's uh, So later, in the same letter to the church in Rome, they write the words, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But clearly, goals... Goals are not enough to change our lives. Goals are not enough to change our lives. And it's really probably the most heartbreaking part of doing what I do. And it probably could be said for coaches and teachers and and, and healthcare, for any helping job. I imagine mechanics probably feel this way too, when they continue to solve problems for people who just don't take care of their cars. And, he, and here's what I'm saying. The most heartbreaking thing for me. As a, as a pastor. And what I do. Is to see someone. Who, who gets caught up in Christ. And they start down this road. And they start to allow Christ to work in their lives. And it's exciting. And they're passionate. And they're, they're here every week. And they jump in. And they, they get into a life group. And, they, and they're serving. And then. It ends. It like just stops. Sometimes it's like this break, and a lot of times it happens around three months. It's this crazy thing here. We watch it. People tend to jump in or jump out around three months. But but it happens, and and some just kind of drift away. They miss a Sunday or a life group, and and then it's two, and then it's four, and then it's four months and and it, and it just falls off and what was so important to them what was so working in their lives is suddenly not and they're right back at the same place they were a year ago two years ago or 5 years ago and so many of us live the same life year after year our marriage is the same as it was before we met Christ our finances are the same as they were 5 years ago our emotional health is the same tangled, undealt with mess that it was six months or 12 months or 18 months or 10 years ago. Our kids, we're doing no better job leading them to be men and women of God who know how to stand on their feet and be leaders than we were doing 18 months ago. We're living the same life over and over again, the same year, untransformed, yet Saying we believe in Jesus, saying this gospel thing works, coming in here and singing songs about being a child of God, set free and transformed, and yet we live as slaves to sin. That's
1: my biggest
0: heartbreak, to watch lives fall apart, marriages fall apart. To get called once it's too late to do anything about it. When we continue the same pattern over and over again for years, and now suddenly our marriage is ready to break up, we're going to call the pastor and see if he can have an hour with us and fix it. I can't fix it. You could have five years ago. You might could still today, but I can't, I, I can't, I can't tell you anything that's going to change anything. We wait too late because we don't want to do this stuff consistently. It's just too hard. And I watch over and over again. It happens to people spiritually, but it happens in lots of ways. It happens in our finances, right? It happens in our finances. We do the same thing over and over again until one day it finally crashes and all catches up with us. We do it in our health until one day we're in the hospital. Heart attack. And then we say we'll change, but we don't. Most heart attack patients don't actually make the changes to their health they need to. Right? We just give you some more medicine. We assume that'll fix it. We're looking for the medicine, looking for the easy fix, the quick diet, the, the magic money plan. We're, we're looking for this quick way to got seven steps to, to being whole in Jesus. But it's the people. It's the people who do consistently what the rest of us do occasionally, who see their lives really transformed. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about transformation. Because if Lent is about anything, it's about being transformed. It's about focusing our attention on Jesus in such a way that it transforms us. Because we do. We talk a lot about being transformed in Christ and in the church, that it actually makes a difference in our lives, in the lives of others. So over these weeks, I want to get really full about how we can cooperate with what God wants to do in us. Because we believe, we believe in a responsible grace. A responsible grace. That means that we have the responsibility to respond to the grace of God. We call it faith. Faith always works. Faith is always an action attached to it. It's not simply this ascent and this set of beliefs that I have. Our Christianity is more than a set of beliefs. It has to be about this all the way down to the very depths of who we are transformation. If it's going to be real Christianity. So I want to get just practical and real about what? we do to cooperate with God to transform our lives. So this week, I want, to, I want to talk about some of the things that keep us from stepping into that transforming flow of the Spirit, from becoming what Christ calls us to become, to from enjoying the freedom that he offers to us, what keeps us from responding to to God's grace, from seeing him work, from seeing our finances transformed and our debts paid off and becoming generous. What keeps us from going, going, back, to our, or keeps us going back to our addictive behaviors or, or, or why we keep choosing fast food over a healthy meal. Why do we go another week without a meaningful conversation with our spouse or our children? Why do we make lofty goals and go back to our old ways within six weeks, year after year after year? So we'll just jump in. I think there are three, three key reasons that I want to talk about today. The first, the first is we focus on what, but we don't understand how to get there. We focus on what we want to change, but we don't understand how to get there. You see what I mean? We all have the same goals. A few days ago, every ACC basketball team stepped on toward the court with the goal of winning the championship. But only one team did. (laughs) But only one team did. We happened to cheer for the team that did in our household. We all have goals in life. We all have the same goals. We want to do well at our job. We want to build meaningful relationships in our home and with our friends and those around us. We want, to, we want to be the best version of ourselves. We want to be able to look in the mirror in the morning, look ourselves in the eye without feeling like we should drop our eyes in embarrassment. We, we, want, to, we want to have significance. We want to be connected to God in a way that, that makes our life matter. We, we all want those same things, yet we have dramatically Different results from one another. We look around the world, we have dramatically different results, while as human beings, we have essentially the same goals. So, our goals alone will not determine our success. And here's the reason James Clear writes this in his his book Atomic Habits. He writes this The reason is that we don't rise to the level of our goals. We fall to the level of our systems. We don't rise to the level of our goals, but we fall to the level of our systems. You say, Pastor, that doesn't sound very spiritual. Well, imagine Daniel. Daniel had a system. He had a system of prayer three times every single day all of his life. So then came the moment when there were some people who were jealous of the success that he had accomplished in life because of other disciplines. And they were jealous of his success, of him being moved ahead. And they came up with this bogus law and how he had broken this bogus law. And the result of him breaking this bogus law was that we're going to throw you in a den full of hungry lions. And he steps into those lions. And what most of us would have been doing is having not prayed all week long, at least not until we heard we were going into the lions, we step up and, God, I need you to be with me. Please don't help me to pee my pants right now. I need some help. And we step in. But he steps in with this confidence that no matter what happens, God has his back because there was a system. He fell back on his system of trust and relationship with God. And because he fell back on that system, he rose to the occasion and he saw God walk him through that den of lions without a scratch. And apparently without much fear in him. As he sat peacefully among them. So it doesn't sound very spiritual, but over and over again we can see in Scripture those times when we, where, where there have been those who fall to the level of their system instead of rising to the level of their goals. See, we will always fall to the level of our habits. When I mean, we tend to start this year or we'll start Lent, or whatever new season and we 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 set these things we want to change. I want to lose weight. I want to get closer to God. I I want to pay off that credit card that's been around so long it's like a pet. I want to I want to spend time with my wife or my kids. When we start the year like we said earlier, 8% of those who start that year accomplish that goal. And that's because only 8% design a system or a plan to actually accomplish that goal. We set goals, then we don't do anything about them. We don't change anything in our lives. We don't change the things that we do every day. Now, if you want change in your life, you have to change something that you do every single day. We're going to talk a lot more about this over the next couple weeks. I can't go all the way into it. But the, the, the reality is that it takes more than just a goal. It takes more than just a goal. And those who around us appear to be most self-disciplined are those who put themselves in a situation where they require the least self-discipline. For example, if I need to exercise self-discipline to not eat cupcakes because cupcakes are delicious and cupcakes Are my favorite. And every time we hear the word cupcakes in our home, someone is gonna mimic the little girl's videos. How about cupcakes? And if you don't know what to talk about, you can look it up later. Because it's this genius moment. Every answer to every question is how about cupcakes? If I'm trying to avoid cupcakes, I don't go to bake my day, I don't walk by the pastry section of Harris Teeter or anywhere else, I don't put myself in the place of temptation and then I don't have to exercise self-discipline. What we do is like, I'm trying to stop shopping, I'm trying to stop spending money, I'm just going to go walk through Target for a few minutes, right? Like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to stop spending, so I'm not going to store. I'm just going to get on Amazon for a minute, just a minute, I just, I just have a minute, $300 later, <laughs> So many of us, we, we start the year off, we're going to lose weight, yet we gain an average of eight pounds a year. We don't get closer to God, and we end the year drained and exhausted and feeling further away from Him. We don't pay off that debt, we end the year with more because we put all of Christmas on it. We don't spend more time with our wife or our kids, instead of another year passes and we drift a little bit more. If we want to have different results in life, we have to learn to focus on the how. The system, not the results. See, when we focus on results, we get nothing. When we focus on the system, we focus on becoming, and we focus on what, uh, on how to do something, then the results take care of themselves. We'll talk more about that again, like I said, next week. But it brings us to this: the second. The second reason most of us... Never experience any real transformation. First, it's, it's the how. We don't understand the how. We don't do things consistently. We do them occasionally. So the second, we just give up too quickly. We give up too quickly because we don't get results quickly enough. Galatians 6.9. Do not grow weary in doing good. Do not grow weary in doing it, because at the right time, at the right time, you'll reap a harvest if you don't give up. In fact, in in just a couple of verses, he says, "You." A couple of verses ahead of that, he says, "You will reap what you sow." It's a promise. It's not a promise that tomorrow you will reap what you sow today. You don't eat a salad today and step on the scale tomorrow, and expect to be down five pounds. I mean, we do, but it doesn't happen, right? So we give up. Maybe maybe we think, okay, I'm going to save money. I'm going to give up my middle grounds habit for a month to save money, and we come up to the end of the month, we've saved a hundred dollars. So now we have $13,900 in credit card debt instead of $14,000 in credit card debt, and we think, what the heck? Let's just Give up. Because it feels like this impossible thing. Or, we'll, or we'll, we'll fast. We'll jump into Lent and we'll fast. We've made it a week and a half and we're more miserable than we were a week and a half ago and we yelled at our family on the way into church this morning. think This isn't working. This isn't working. So we wrongly conclude that small good behaviors don't really matter. We wrongly conclude that small good decisions don't matter. Then we take the flip side. Right? Play video games for three and a half hours straight. And our wife's not happy, but she didn't leave us. So, we, we, didn't, we didn't think much about it, right? <laughs> we ate an entire box of Girl Scout cookies and we don't feel great about our scales, but the scale didn't change. So, we think it doesn't matter. Skip church one Sunday and we don't feel quite the same, but Jesus still loves me, right? We'd go a few days without praying and it seemed like nothing big happens. So, we wrongly conclude the small bad decisions don't matter much either. What we fail to realize is that the sum total of our life, that our life is the sum total of every small decision we make. The the life that you want is the sum total of every small decision you make. Every time you choose not to spend that dollar. Every time you choose the right meal. Every time you choose to worship instead of sleep in. Every time you choose to engage people, to get into that group, to get into the Word. Every time. Your life is the total of that. So if you look at the last year, and there were 52 Sundays, and two of them we didn't have worship, and you were here 25 You have about a half a chance of being close to Jesus. Because, look, we can say, well, the church isn't it. I get it. If you're not showing up on Sunday morning, I would bet you're not spending much time with Him during the week either. If you can't make an hour, hour and a half for Him on Sunday morning, you're certainly not making time for Him when you'd rather be in bed. And I'm not talking, I don't think everybody needs to be here every single Sunday, like it's some kind of rule. But it and say it's a decision of who you want to be. What is true about you? What is the small decision you make over and over again? Are you choosing to step toward people? Are you choosing to, to step toward God? Are you choosing to fast, to pray, to, to get connected to Him? It's all of these small decisions. I had Noah read it. I'll have Sophie read it when she gets a little older. Darren Hardy's book, The Compound Effect, he spends an entire book unpacking how one little decision builds upon another little decision throughout our entire lives to give us the life we want or the life we never wish we had. It's all made up of these small decisions over time. But the good decisions we make feel wasted in the midst of a big life. They feel unimportant. The bad decisions feel unimportant. We don't see that every good decision matters. That they're not being wasted. They're being stored up until a moment, until that right time, until it's time for the harvest. They're being stored up in this latent potential waiting to be released. Give me an example. My kids love ramen noodles. Yeah. They, they love them. I mean, I survived on them through some time in college, but they, they love them. They'll eat as much and need them every day if we let them. And they'll get a pot, they'll put some water in it, measure it out, and put it on, on the stovetop. When they put that water on the stovetop, it's room temperature, somewhere around 70 degrees. And they turn on the heat, and it doesn't look like anything's happening. It goes up one degree, two degrees. It doesn't, it doesn't see. It goes up 100 degrees from 70 to 170. Still doesn't look anything. in another moment. They wait. And they wait. And now it's at 200. And at 211, you have really hot water. At 212, you have boiling water. You hit that tipping point. All of your small decisions are moving you toward that tipping point. With every good decision, the temperature is rising. The faith is growing. The latent potential is expanding and getting closer and closer to that moment when it is released. But when we go down this road, we're making good decisions. We're heating up that faith. We're heating up that temperature. But then we say, you know what? I'll just take this week off. And it becomes two weeks and three weeks. You turn off the heat for a minute and that temperature starts dropping. And you don't start back where you were when you turned the heat back on. You start back where the temperature is now. And we wonder why we never get to a boiling point because we're turning the heat on and off, on and off, on and off, occasionally doing those things. But the life that is transformed is made up in those unseen small moments when it looks like nothing's happening. When no one sees, when you get out of that bed early in the morning and you get on your knees with God or you get in the Word or you get in the gym, nobody will see that. Nobody will see the work That you're putting in. No one will see the hours early in the morning or late at night. Studying, working, grinding, praying, fasting, believing, trusting. Redoing it again and again and again. But then there'll be this moment. And you'll look at your life. And you'll look at yourself. And you're healthy. And you're strong. And you believe. And you face the struggles with faith and possibility, your kids are what you always hoped they would be. You walk down this road and you realize one day all of those decisions got you to here. And the rest of the world, they'll look and they'll call you an overnight success. There's no such thing as an overnight success. It's in all of that stuff, all of the small decisions day in and day out consistently that no one ever saw. That no one ever cared about, that no one ever wants you to tell a story about. They just want to tell hear the stories of 2:11 to 2:12. And Paul says, "Don't grow weary in doing good. Don't grow weary in counting calories. Don't get, grow weary in getting up 30 minutes earlier to seek God. Don't grow weary in living by the budget. Don't grow weary in prayer. Don't grow weary in fasting. Don't grow weary in worship, being in life group, doing these things. Don't grow weary in being devoted to your spouse. Don't grow weary in working with your kids and believing in your kids and helping them and yelling at them and discipline and doing the things that you need to do. Don't grow weary don't grow weary in doing good. Don't grow weary. It's the crazy thing about Lent. 40 days of fasting, I almost never experience a breakthrough of any kind during those 40 days. It's after those 40 days are over that I experience the breakthrough of what happens in those 40 days. Zechariah 4:10 says Do not despise small beginnings. Don't give up. Don't quit too early because you don't get the results you expected. Don't quit planting. Don't quit working. Don't quit praying. Don't quit becoming. Keep making the small decisions. None of us start out having it figured out. It always starts small. If we'll make small decisions and watch them accumulate until that moment when when potential, that latent potential is revealed, we'll see a life that we only dreamed of. So why do we go year after year essentially unchanged? Focus on what, not how. We give up because we don't see progress fast enough. And I think maybe the most important Our distorted identity, our distorted identity sabotages our potential. Our distorted identity sabotages our potential. Our enemy whispers lies to us all day, every day. And one of the biggest lies that he tells us is that you didn't fail, you are a failure. That whatever has happened to you in your past defines who you are. You are that. You are your fear. You are your disappointment. You are your failure. You are your depression. You are your anxiety. You are your fears. You are that. That's why Moses responds to God when he's called. Right? He says, I'm horrible at public speaking. You need to find somebody else. It's why Gideon was nervous. He says, I'm the weakest among the least. Find somebody else. It's why Paul says, I'm not qualified. I'm the least and I am unworthy. You know what it sounds like today? Well, this is just the way I am. Just, this is just the way I am. I have an I have an addictive personality. You just got to understand when I have another drink. So you know, pass me a beer and just understand. It's just the way I am. I've never been good with money. Everyone knows it. I'm going to go shop to feel better about it. I mean, I'm not organized. I'm not a morning person. I'm not disciplined. I'm an introvert. And we play these games. Like we, we, we own these identities. And we, and we let them sabotage who we could become and what it is that he created us to do and rob us of being what we were created to be. And because here's what happens. is An unhealthy identity creates unwise habits. And unwise habits inform an unhealthy identity. And it creates what's known as a feedback loop. Right? So we have these unhealthy identity. Well, this, this is what I struggled with about seven years ago when I was 60 pounds heavier than I am right now. I'll just always be a little chunky. It's just, it's just what it is. And I'm just going to have to accept it and be comfortable with it. I'm just going to have to figure out how to be confident like this because this is just the way I am. Just the way I am. And so I ate. I ate when I was sad, I ate when I was happy, I ate when I was able to be mad, I ate when I was stressed. It's just the way I am. I like food. I didn't exercise because it wouldn't make any difference anyway. And then because I had this habit of eating emotions and stress and everything else and it didn't work out, it told me I'll always be this way. And it just kept this loop going for years. For years. Our unhealthy identity. Forms unwise habits. And those unwise habits inform. An unhealthy. Identity. That's so why we started the year differently. Right. We didn't talk about. What do you want to do this year. I don't know if you remember. The first message series of this year. Was on obscurity. And who We are. It was on who we are. And maybe you need to go back and listen to it. But we focused the beginning of this year. We said if we could focus on who we are. And we could understand who we are. What we do will take care of itself. It's shifting the question. Instead of asking what do I want to do. We ask this question and continue to ask. Who do I want to become? Who do you want to be? Who do you want to be a month from now, six months from now, a year from now, ten years from now? Who do you want to be? Do you want to be a godly man, a godly woman? Do you want to be generous, maybe a healthy person? I want to be loving. or I want to be disciplined. I want to be wise. All of these good identities, healthy identity, when you know who you are, you know what to do here here's an example it's been written about i don't know where read it where heard it first heard it different places but imagine this maybe you're a smoker and you've decided to quit smoking but it's break time at work day one and you walk outside for some unknown reason and someone offers you a cigarette how do you respond no i'm trying to quit Or no, I don't smoke anymore. And it may seem like not a big difference, but it's a huge difference. The first statement, no, I'm trying to quit, assumes the identity of being a smoker who's trying not to act like themselves. The second is that behavior is no longer who I am. That's a part of who I was. Who I am now is not a smoker. And it's so much easier to act out of an identity. Then every time you choose not to smoke, you reinforce this identity of not being a smoker. And it happens to us in all kinds of ways. Maybe you say, I want to be a healthy person. So you, you pull up to the drive-thru and you say, okay, what would a healthy person do? You go to bed and set your alarm for the next morning. What time would a healthy person get up? And then you get up and what would a healthy person do? What would a healthy person shop for? And you start doing that, and you know what happens before long? You're a healthy person. And now you've created a new feedback loop about who you are, not just what you do. You don't just eat healthy and exercise and and read about how to take care of your body and take care of your mind. No, you are a healthy person. And we've created these new loops. When we know who we are, we know what to do. And here's the crazy thing. So many of us say, well, I can't change. I can't change. I've tried. I can't change. What you hear, Romans 6, 6. Again, the letter from the teacher Paul to the Christians in Rome. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. We should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Anything, this is just my personal belief and I don't have good biblical background for it, but I think it's wise. I think it's probably theologically sound and and it helps me. And maybe it'll help you. Anything that keeps me from becoming what God made me to be is sin for me. Anything that keeps me from being Who I was created to be. In my body. In my mind. In my emotions. In my soul. In my relationships. In my finances. Anything that I allow to continue in my life that is keeping me from becoming what I'm supposed to be is sin. And that has been crucified as an old self. I have been transformed. That is no longer who I am. I am no longer slave to those habits. I will no longer fall back to that system because that has been crucified. And I have been given a brand New life. I am a new creation in Him. And things are changed. Somebody go old school and say amen for me. Thank you. Woo! Glad somebody's here. Thank you, Stephen. And the others too. You just said it louder. <laughs> identity shapes habits and habits shape identity. Who do you want to become? There were years ago. Years ago we had little tinies, and now they're big giants, we had little tiny kids, and Anita said, I want to be a runner. It wasn't like, I want to lose this much weight, or I just want to be a runner. Do you know where she started? Walking around our house, like literally just walking, and she did it every day, no matter what, raining, snowing, hot, it was in Virginia, so it was like 110 degrees, I think when she started doing it, she just walked. And then it was a jog. And it was like walk once, run once. Or just around the house. Not like we didn't have a big house. Just this was it. This is where to start. And every time she tied her shoes, she reinforced the identity of a runner. Now, just for fun, she'll go, oh, we'll go run three miles. That's absurd. Don't run unless somebody's chasing you. But she's a runner. And she can run. She can run a lot further than that if she had time for it. Because she chose it. There was a time she said, I want to be the person who believes in God's promises. She said, I believe God's promises. I just don't believe them for me. So I'm going to start writing them down and praying them. And every time she did that, she reinforced his identity as someone who believed in the promises of God. And she became that person. She wrote them down because she did. She believed it. And it became this feedback loop. And She's a person who believes in the promises of God. Now she's a weightlifter. She'll read about it. She studies form. She does not pick up a piece of that hardened steel to move it without knowing exactly the form and motion that she should use to do it correctly. She doesn't do like most of us idiot guys who go in the gym occasionally and pick up way too much weight and try to throw it around and hurt ourselves. She studies how to do it. She studies what to eat. And she studies how to do it correctly. And she does it multiple times every single week whether she wants to or not because she's a weightlifter. Not because she wants to lose weight or accomplish this or lift a certain amount. Because of who she wants to be. Years ago, about 10 or 12 years ago, I was not a morning person. At least that's what I told myself over and over again. I, I just can't. I can't do it. I'd get up the very last second, shower in 15 seconds, and be at work within 10 minutes of when I got out of bed. Miserable for the first hour. Like, that was it. That was what I would do. And I didn't have to be at work until 9 o'clock. So I was, I was sleeping in. Stay up way late. Be at work barely by 9 o'clock. Now I get up between 4 and 4.30 every day. I get up and I feed the cats because they drive me crazy until I do. And I make my coffee and I sit down and I open up a Bible and some other books from time to time. Or I'll listen to something and have some music on. I go to the gym And I'll come back before most of the house is awake. But I decided years ago I was going to start becoming a morning person. So I got up. I didn't start by getting up at 4.30 and try to do it. I was just 15 minutes earlier. And then 30 minutes earlier. And over the course of a decade, went from 8.30 to 4.30. And have to make choices. Somebody who gets up early goes to bed earlier. So I don't stay up till 2 a.m. anymore. Right? Like if you get up earlier, you've got to be more disciplined throughout the day. You've got to understand what you need at different times. You eat on a different schedule. All of those kinds of things. Because this is the person I wanted to be. And, and we can do this, and we need to understand this in all areas of our lives. See, if, if, you outlive, if I outlive you, then here's what will happen. I'll gather with your family the night before your funeral. And I'll ask them to tell me about you. Tell me your favorite stories and memories. Tell me about who this person is. And I do this every time I do a funeral. And there are times that after that hour or so of hearing stories, it's all that I can do to find enough good stuff for 15 minutes the next day. And then there are times there are so many stories you can't possibly fit in. Just a hint of what this person was. If I were to gather with your family, or whatever pastor gathers with your family whenever that time comes, what do you want them to say about you? Who do you want them to say you were? You are. When your kids tell their friends about dad or mom, what do you want them to say? I thought about this just for a minute and jotted some things down quickly. Not a reflective list, but I want them to say that I was passionate about Christ and believed God for crazy things. I want them to say that he deeply loved his wife, believed in her. I want him to say he was a great dad. He sacrificed for others. He believed in people and helped bring the best out of them. He loved and he served the church faithfully. He took care of what he had. His body, his health, his mind, his home, his church. He was focused on people. He was always learning. It's not an exhaustive list, but it's one that I think about, and I wonder, who do you want to be? Not what do you want to do, but who do you want to be? The great news is that Jesus can transform us from the inside out. The great news is that he starts to work that transformation through every small decision we make. The great news is that you made one of those small decisions when you got out of bed and showed up here this morning. Your life can be radically different. You don't have to live the same year over and over and over again. If you let Jesus lead you and show you the way, and you cooperate with him in every little decision, life can be different.